Okay, welcome to Poetry Says Everyone. I'm Alice and I'm really happy today because I get to talk to Michelle Seminara, who is a poet, she's a critic and the editor of an amazing poetry blog called Verity La. Um, since 2014, is that right, Michelle? Ah, uh, yes, yes, it is. And this year, you've also put out your first collection called Engraft. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Just uh, the beginning of the year. How does it feel to have that out there in the world? Oh, it, it was quite exciting, but probably more um, anxiety-producing than exciting. But you know, a bit of a mix of both, I think. Yeah, I can imagine it's pretty stressful as well as really an amazing feeling. Yeah, definitely. Um, And today, even better than getting to chat to you, we're going to talk about Elizabeth Bishop. And I know I love Elizabeth Bishop. And when you asked me to um, have a chat about a poem, this one um, sprung to my mind immediately because I became quite obsessed um, with it for some time. So um, yeah, it should be should be really interesting. Oh, that's really good. That's kind of my idea with this podcast is. Everybody's got that one poem that they're just, yeah, kind of obsessed with. But since you sent it through to me, I've actually started to become quite obsessed with this giant snail as well. Uh Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So do you want to tell us a little bit about maybe um, what the poem is and, and maybe when you first encountered it and things like that? Sure. Well, um, Giant Snail is um, part of a a little uh, sort of sequence of poems that Elizabeth uh, Bishop wrote. Um, I think they're called Rainy Season Subtropics. And um, I think in that um, little sequence she had one called Giant Toad and Strayed Crab. And so these three poems um, sort of were put out together and I I haven't actually um, encountered them until uh, very late last year and I just read this poem The Giant Snail and this particular one just stuck into my head I think because I just kind of really um, I don't know I sort of empathize with this snail I think (laughs) so um, yeah that's when I first encountered it. Yeah I empathize with the snail too which is sort of a weird feeling. yeah, there's just something about it. Uh, but I'll, I'll I'll let you get on with reading it maybe, and then we can we can chat about um, things from there. Sure, it's quite long, so um, I might just read the first half um, to begin with. Cool. So, giant snail. The rain has stopped. The waterfall will roar like that all night. I have come out to take a walk and feed. My body, foot that is, is wet and cold and covered with sharp gravel. It is white, the size of a dinner plate. I have set myself a goal, a certain rock, but it may well be dawn before I get there. Although I move ghost-like and my floating edges barely graze the ground, I am heavy, heavy, heavy. My white muscles are already tired. I give the impression of mysterious ease, but it is only with the greatest effort of my will that I can rise above the smallest stones and sticks. And I must not let myself be distracted by those rough spears of grass. Don't touch them. Draw back. Withdrawal is always best. The rain has stopped. The waterfall makes such a noise. And what if I fall over it? The mountains of black rock give off such clouds of steam. Shiny streamers are hanging down their sides. When this occurs, we have a saying that the snail gods have come down in haste. 
I could never descend such steep escarpments, much less dream of climbing them. So that's uh, the first half of the poem. Yeah, there's there's just so much to talk about here. I'm going to start with a question to you, which is, um, do you think of the snail as male or female? I do. I think definitely female. I, to me, it's a very feminine poem. There's so much water and vibration and kind of um, a focus on the internal. I Yeah, I definitely feel it's a female snail. How about yourself? Yeah, it's, it was crazy because, like, from the first three lines, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this snail is a she. But there's no there is nothing to tell you that no there's not yeah that that was really mysterious to me um Mm. and then the second thing that struck me because I don't have a printer here I wrote this out by hand and Mm. then I started to realize by doing that that she's got line breaks in such amazing interesting places all throughout Mm. the poem basically the majority of them are in these kind of um places that force you onto the next line to finish the sentence only some of them fall in a, at a natural end yes that's quite true and actually it's a prose poem so you know um i printed this off the internet as well and different versions i looked at have the breaks in different spots some just have it running on you know full full length and others oh, really okay so i'm so reading all the significance I- in <laughs> Oh, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't. I don't know which is the original. Um, I don't have this in print book form, so I don't know which is the original formatting. But it definitely is a prose poem. So I'm thinking it just runs on. But maybe that in itself is what you're saying. It does force you to run on. Yeah, I follow this on his or her journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a couple of key lines that stuck out to me in that first section maybe that the first one that really seems significant to me is I give the impression of mysterious ease but it is only with the greatest effort of my will that I can rise above the smallest stones and sticks um I I guess I don't know what it is about that line I suppose it's just a way of describing a snail's movement that is just so perfect and yet I would never have thought to put it that way I think it's very much to do, like, when I read that sentence, it really struck out um, at me as well. And when it says smallest stones and sticks, I was thinking about that, like, little um, kid's rhyme, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, Mm. but names will never hurt me. And that really um, sort of jumped out at me. And I was thinking about maybe that in terms of Bishop's life and and also, you know, her poetry making that... um, she does her poems do have this amazing um ease about them and yet she's um, been renowned for working for years and years upon a poem to give it that effortlessness or that appearance of effortlessness yeah and it does appear effortless but i read somewhere that she only published 101 poems which is a nice round number um Mm. in her lifetime i don't know if that's true it could be very apocryphal but um Mm -hmm. yeah it it really does it feels like almost nothing's happening but then there's so much happening at the same time Mm. um and the other the other lines that really stuck out in this um section is she's she the snail is um she's kind of uh talking to herself trying to give herself courage but then she's also worrying so in one point she's saying i must not let myself be distracted by those rough spears of grass don't touch Mm. them 
and then yeah the waterfall makes such a noise and what if I fall over it she's kind of struggling she's got this internal battle like you say yeah that's really yeah that's such a good point you know it's basically a monologue isn't it and you're right I hadn't thought of that it's like she's talking to herself she's quite a sort of a worried snail yeah um, yeah, she's talking to herself, trying to give herself courage. As you said, I think we all do that um, at times in our life, especially when we do feel anxious or worried. Um, I certainly do have a bit of an internal monologue going. <laughs> so um, mm, definitely, I think you know, I get there, I can do it. So just keep going. So although the snail's quite anxious, she's also quite determined. I think she is. She's set set herself this task because she said in the first first section where she's going. I have set myself a goal, a certain rock, but it may well be dawn before I get there. Yeah. Yeah, so you, it feels, yeah, this huge mammoth, almost unachievable task, but you can feel her kind of slow, steady movement. Mm. Yeah, so already I'm hugely attached to the snail. Um, yes. <laughs> do you want to keep reading? Yeah, sure. So um, the second half goes... That toad was too big, too, like me. His eyes beseeched my love. Our proportions horrify our neighbours. Rest a minute, relax. Flatten to the ground, my body is like a pallid, decomposing leaf. What's that tapping on my shell? Nothing. Let's go on. My sides move in rhythmic waves, just off the ground, from front to back, the wake of a ship wax-white water or a slowly melting flow. I am cold, cold, cold as ice. My blind, white bull's head was a Cretan scarehead, degenerate my four horns that can't attack. The sides of my mouth are now my hands. They press the earth and suck it hard. Ah, but I know my shell is beautiful and high and glazed and shiny. I know it well, although I have not seen it. Its curled white lip is of the finest enamel. Inside, it is as smooth as silk, and I, I feel it to perfection. My wide wakes shine, now it is growing dark. I leave a lovely opalescent ribbon. I know this, but oh, I am too big. I feel it, pity me. If and when I reach the rock, I shall go into a certain crack there for the night. The waterfall below will vibrate through my shell and body all night long. In that steady pulsing, I can rest. All night, I shall be like a sleeping ear. So, yeah, very um, interesting ending. I really love that ending. Um, it, the, it starts as a sort of external journey and then sort of spirals in like a, a shell and then you end inside this sleeping ear. It's really lovely. Oh, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. And it makes a lot more sense now that you've said that it's like an internal monologue because when I first read it, I was a bit confused that at, in this second half, there's this line, but I know my shell is beautiful and high and glazed and shining. I know it well. And then a little bit further on, she says, but oh, I am too big. I feel it. Pity me. So she's kind of mm -hmm. flipping back and forth. But that is what happens inside your head. Um you come to a conclusion and then you go, actually, no, that's not right. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I feel it's got a lot to do with um, possibly, you know, I, I suppose um, Bishop, you know, empathised with this snail and um, also I feel it has a lot to do possibly with her 
perception, her external and internal sort of perceptions of herself that from she feels that from the outside she's somehow monstrous and yet when she feels from the inside she feels she's beautiful. It's really interesting actually. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, it really just, just feels like this internal battle going back and forth. But at the end she does come to a sort of um, conclusion that, you know, all night I shall be like a sleeping ear. She's she's confident, I guess, at the end of the poem that she will get there. Bishop doesn't leave us in that state of, I'm too big, pity me. You know, she moves on from that at the end. That's true. You know, that snail definitely has um, self-pity, but um, yeah, it doesn't It doesn't just stay there. And, it, and it's such a receptive um, ending. I feel like that possibly has to do with her sense of herself as a as a poet you know that she's like a sleeping ear and that um she's possibly just um experiencing and communicating the reverberations you know of the earth um on which she is and I was thinking about that as well where she says that um my blind white bull's head was a cretin scarehead degenerate my four horns that can't attack the sides of my mouth are now my hands so it's like her mouth has become her hands her way of um feeling the world and she's they press the earth and suck it hard so it feels like her mouth in terms of her speaking you know her writing her poetry um has become her form of defense and because she's saying you know her horns can't attack they're just um you know the horns of a snail they're not um they're not dangerous, but her her mouth is now are now her hands, and perhaps they can um, protect her and express her. It's very interesting, I think. Yeah, wow, that's that's a fantastic way of putting it. I really hadn't thought of any of that, um, because it's you do feel Bishop, the the poet inside this character of the snail, very much. Well, I do anyway. But maybe that's just because Bishop had such a amazing and, and tragic and incredible life I kind of read her into every single one of her poems mm. but um yeah that's I do too you know it's funny because throughout her life you know she obviously had um you know she had that great friendship with Robert Lowell and so she was very aware of that sort of first wave of confessional you know poets and she was always really um kind of against it in a way, you know, that people were um, waving their dirty laundry around in their poetry, so to speak. Um, but I, I feel that she is a really confessional poet as well, but it's much more um, much more guarded and um, I suppose, you know, she uses um, these sort of characters, the giant snail, the giant toad and so on, um, but there's still so much of her underneath. Uh, I think she's just very careful about how she puts it and I feel like her poetry is sometimes so well constructed, it, it's quite brittle in a sense. Um, she's been quoted as saying um, there's an element of um, mortal panic and fear underlining, underlying all the words, you know, all our words, and I feel like for her, she's kind of constructing this fabulous sort of appearance, but underneath you can sense um, quite a lot of suffering and often a lot of panic as well. God, that's amazing. Panic and mortal fear under all our words. Yeah, underlying all the words in art, yeah. That's incredible. It's interesting. I didn't yes. know that about the the issue with the confessional poets. Because I, I wouldn't have thought it because the first Bishop poem that I came into contact with was One Art, 
which has got to mm. be up there with yeah confessional type poetry well she was definitely um very in contact with confessional poetry very influenced by it but I think it was just her very private nature and that possibly had a lot to do with the fact you know she was a lesbian in a time when that wasn't something you could be very open about and so possibly and you know I think she felt like an outsider in many many ways you know she had a very um difficult childhood her father died when she was very young her mother um you know had mental health issues and then was put into an asylum I think when she was about five and so then she was brought up by her grandparents and aunt and I don't think she ever felt like she sort of belonged anywhere and I think these um characters like the giant snail and the toad these characters who feel they're kind of too much you know they don't belong everyone's looking at them they're wrong they're different they don't fit in those are the ways she's kind of expressed um that feeling but she hasn't done it in the same way um a real confessional poet might but I think it's still there very much yeah that's that's a really good point actually and on top of all that she's living I assume when she's written this poem she's living or has at least been to Brazil where these giant white Mm. snails are yeah, I think I think that was in this period. I think she was around in her 50s, so that would have been about right, yep. Yeah, so she's feeling like an outsider so many times over. Mm. I, I wanted to ask you about the toad because that totally threw me, that um, those couple of lines, that toad was too big, too like me. His eyes beseeched my love, our proportions horrify our neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I'd, it's good to know that it's part of a series, actually, with the with the giant mm. toad. I didn't realise that. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I was reading the three poems, and um, it's 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 a cute little sequence because the the um, the creatures actually kind of pass by each other at certain points or observe each other and sort of have something to say yeah. about each other. So she, the snail, must have actually been going via the toad, you know, and had a little look at it. And in the toad's poem, Giant Toad, he he goes past uh, the snail, and in the strayed crab also bumps into the the toad and the snail. So they all have something to say about each other, and they've got kind of slightly different characters and um, ways of dealing with things. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to have to seek out those other ones too. Mm. And uh, you wrote a reply to this poem. I did. I became so obsessed with it. I did write a reply. It's really cool. Um, Yeah. So when did you write write this one? I wrote this one... I got an email from another poet called Pierce Cotier, Penelope Cotier, who's a great poet, and she said, oh, I'm entering the, um, I think it was the Vice-Chancellor's um, uh, Poetry Prize, and, um, you know, the the topic is peace, and I think, you you know, you should write something. And I thought, oh, I don't really, I'm not very good at writing for like particular topics or competitions I thought oh but I'd been reading a lot of this giant snail and so I sat down to write something and this um poem popped out of my head which I called on reading bishop which is a bit of a um yeah a bit of a response or just a poem inspired by giant snail oh lovely would you like to read it for us 
Yeah, sure. I'll just grab it. So it's dedicated to um, Penelope Cotier for giving me the inspiration to actually write it. I didn't actually enter it in that competition. I think I remember she did. I can't remember the name of her poem. I should, but she entered and she won third prize. <laughs> she did very well. <laughs> But I was like, oh, no, this won't have any, this isn't worth the entry fee. You know? <laughs> so um, this one's called On Reading Bishop After Elizabeth Bishop's Giant Snail. A peaceful life is arduous to attain. Desire's not enough, nor positive aim. One side's withdrawal is always the other's gain. What germ inside us inclines towards hate? It seems to me there must be something rank and spindly, tangled in the hub of our hearts, disordering their true rotation until we become beings whose frequency is attuned to blame. Therefore, I hold my words on a parsimonious reign. Reading Bishop, our distinctive stillness comes. Like her giant snail, I too inch forward, my own amorphous, unguarded foot absorbing sharp barbs of gravel, avoiding rough spears of grass, as I push, bullheaded, to gain a crack in God's sanctuary before sunrise. So obviously in that one I took quite a bit of inspiration and pinched a few words <laughs> from um, Elizabeth Bishop's um, poem, but... Yeah, I think I wrote this because I was just going through a bit of a sort of a difficult period in my life and I think that's possibly why I related to uh, Giant Snail, that sense that um, you may not feel up to it but that you, you push through, you know, you keep going. Yeah, I, um, it's such an amazing poem, Michelle. Why, why didn't you think you should enter it? Did you think maybe it was too, like, small scale for a, a prize about peace? Um, I think so, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because even though Bishop's Giant Snail is actually a very big poem in terms of length, it's actually a very small poem, I think, in terms of its um, its scope in the sense that um, it's a very humble little poem. You know, the snail there says, you know, I could never descend such steep escarpments, much less dream of climbing them when she's talking about that that rock of wall, um, which is the snail god's, you know, rock of wall that she's trying to make it to. And so she's got a very sort of little aim. She just wants to find solace. She wants to find some peace, some little crack to go and hide in, you know. And so I think I was feeling a little bit the same way and maybe that's why I didn't enter the poem. I just thought <laughs> it's very little, you know, in terms of um, what it is after, in terms of the peace that it's talking about. Yeah, no, but I related to it immediately, especially that middle stanza just puts it so well, that internal battle between the germ inside us inclining towards hate. Mm. And I just think that's an incredible way to put it, disordering our heart's true rotation until we become attuned to blame. I think mm. uh, I read that and I thought, yep, living in the UK right now, that's, oh, wow. yes. that's what it feels and like. And Australian politics as well now, actually, at the moment. It's all a little bit. A bit too interesting right now, yeah. Yes, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, I, I go to a meditation group here and everyone was sitting around sort of talking about, you know, Buddhist principles and blah, blah, blah. But um, the conversation inevitably turned to the outcome of the referendum and everybody at the group is incredibly unhappy about it and mm -hmm. they're all trying so hard not to blame anyone because, you know, they're good Buddhists. But 
struggling. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it is a struggle. And I think um, I, I feel like that's what it is in in Bishop's poetry. There's so much going on underneath. I think she feels like maybe she's slightly out of control and therefore she must write these very finely tuned, very particular verses, you know, that the, that the writing and the putting it in words is a way of controlling the kind of chaos that um, we all feel personally and as a culture and a society sometimes as well. And I think that's why I wrote in this, my poem um, inspired by hers, you know, I hold my words on a parsimonious reign. So when things are getting out of control, I feel like sometimes then you write and you speak much more thoughtfully and carefully yeah and you give a shape to these feelings and and that internal monologue that does just kind of switch back and forth back and forth kind of coming to a conclusion and disagreeing with it so yeah I can understand why she just worked on a hundred poems over and over again just trying Mm. to yeah like as you say make a space where things were controlled makes sense yes yeah yeah that's always been my feeling uh, about her poetry I don't know if that's a known thing about her it's just my sort of instinctive feeling it feels very beautiful very controlled but also somehow a little bit brittle like it could fracture and and all the stuff underneath could could come through yeah completely I totally I totally get that do you remember when what your first contact with Bishop was when you first started reading her or Oh, not really, no. I, I think I read it when I was very young and then, you know, sort of at uni and then uh, forgot all about it because I think that at times in your life things resonate with you and I think she's quite a mature poet and um, I don't think that really resonated with me, you know, at that time. So it wasn't really until a few years ago um, that I started reading her again and thought, wow, actually, I, I really get it. I really like it now. So I think that happens. I think there's poems for certain periods in your life and for certain maybe ages and phases that you go through as well yeah I think that's really true I think I read one art for the first time when I was in my early 20s and I thought oh yeah I totally know what she means but obviously at that point had really not lost very much at all in my life Mm. so yeah I thought I was really wise reading that poem but probably didn't Mm. get it very much and then the next bishop that I came into contact with was a poem of hers called Feeling Station which Mm -hmm. really yeah just knocked me for six I thought it was so incredible and I'm so glad that we got to read this one today too because it is a cracker Ah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. When you um, said that you'd become slightly obsessed with it, I was like, yes, <laughs> Maybe more people will, who knows? Yes, we might have done a, a good service. <laughs> yeah, nice one. Um, and I wanted to ask you too, so you've got, you've got Ingraft out there in the world. Um, I do. Doing its thing. Um, and I know it's really annoying when people say, hey, so what's next? What's, what are you doing? But I was wondering if you're kind of, in a, a period of um, just waiting and watching now, or are you diving into new things? Or um... uh, uh, I'm very, uh, I'm very happy to say I have started writing again. I found 
the end part of getting the book together, you know, it's my first book, so I had no experience um, with what I was doing. And, of course, the end part of getting a book together is actually kind of the boring part, you know. It's all the fussy little editing bits and getting blurbs and this and that, you know, So, and then organising, you know, um, launches and so on. So uh, I sort of stopped writing during that phase because it's like your head switches into that other kind of more administrative um, space. And I was thinking, oh, God, no, I'm never going to be able to write another poem. <laughs> so I was quite relieved when, when that all died down, a few poems did kind of pop back up. So, yeah, slowly, slowly working towards, I suppose, a second book if anyone will have it. But, um, yeah, not rushing. I, I did a poetry reading um, the other day and um, a very, um, well, well a, a poet I respect a lot said to me, one, um, one bit of advice on that second book, Michelle, don't rush it, don't rush it. <laughs> Apparently it's a very common mistake, so I won't be rushing anything. I'll be like this snail. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the second album, isn't it? Because the first the first book, the first album, you can take a decade because nobody's watching and then everyone's like, oh, cool, so what are you doing after this? Mm, What's happening now? Yeah. And, yeah, attempting to rush it out. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And also I suppose with the first of anything, there's no expectations and people are going to be more forgiving, you know, whereas... Um, yeah, the second book or the second album, um, yeah, there's, it's a bit different. So mm. no rush. No rush at all. Yeah, well, I guess that all, all that's left to do is thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me today, Michelle. Oh, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. It's been really fun. Yeah, it has been really fun. This has been awesome. Yeah, just getting to talk about my, you know, one of my favourite poems has just been really fun. You, I don't know many people actually like or care at all about poetry. <laughs> <laughs> well, through the power of podcasting, we're going to change all that. <laughs> so just to get to ramble on about a poem for half an hour is quite, you know, quite novel and quite exciting. Yeah. No, it's, it is really, really great. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, uh, yeah, come back anytime you like. Pleasure. Thank you, Alice. Thanks.